The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. I will say this, and it holds true, mm-hmm. because they don't even know how they know each other, but they know each other somehow, some way. And so rather than another episode of the Why Me Project podcast, it's Holly and Friends. It's true. I'm so sorry how this keeps happening, but I'm also not so sorry because... I have met some pretty incredible people in my day, and today's guest is no exception. We put it this way. I looked to see how many friends I have on Facebook, mm-hmm. like 103. Yeah. And they looked at yours, and you had thousands. And I'm like, <laughs> what have I done with my life? <laughs> You're just not on social media, and that's okay. You probably have a healthier lifestyle and less stress. No, okay. Well, this man is on social media officially. It is a, at official Mike Gordon. Mike Gordon, my friend, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> How you guys doing? We're good. I'm so glad we were able to coordinate this. Oh, thank you for, you know, working with my schedule and my sicknesses and, you know, everything that goes along with being human. So I appreciate that we are finally together. We like to ask the skill testing question, Mike, because we never know where it's going to go. Who are you and where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> I have a very unique sense of humor, so I will try to... <laughs> <laughs> on the right path right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no, my name is Mike. And uh, who am I? Uh, I tell people I'm, no- I'm nobody. They don't really like that answer because mm-hmm. that's not how you get viewers on your, you know, podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're interviewing a nobody. No, no. But I am a Toronto boy, born and raised in Toronto. But over the last decade or so, all I've been doing is traveling full time as a Christian speaker uh, mm. all over the world, um, which has been super awesome and crazy and fun. So I'm a Toronto boy traveling the world. For you growing up in Toronto, what was that like? I mean, oh, I, I, I don't know. I think it was okay. Yeah. I, I, had, I had a good time trying to fit in and try to, uh, you know, I grew up in Toronto in like the mid 90s where everyone was trying to be like, you know, everyone was into gangster rap, you know, so I did my <laughs> best to fit in, you know, um, did not fit in very well. I'll say that I grew up on the east part of Toronto and Scarborough and, but no, it, it was good. It was um, a great upbringing for the most part, I, I think. Um, I still go back there. So that's a good sign. That's it wasn't, positive. That wasn't too bad, right? <laughs> well, we're from the prairies, so we always see Toronto as being the uh, center of the universe. Just kidding. Only Toronto people say that. <laughs> no, we do. We do. <laughs> and we say it because it's true, right? That's, a, that's exactly yeah, it. Yeah, we have plumbing. We have internet, <laughs> electricity, unlike the prairies, you know. Yeah, like, no one else has that. So no you're, one else in Canada is weird. you're blessed and highly favored. We have cows. <laughs> I wish we had cows in Toronto. That would be super cool. So where do you reside in now? Yeah, so right now I'm just outside of Toronto in a little city city called London, Ontario. Okay. You know, nice. the houses are a little more affordable there, a little bit. Just a touch. Yeah. When your boy growing up in Toronto, trying to navigate gangster rap, was a Christian speaker, was a speaker of any kind, the type of career that you set out for? Not at all. You know, I remember listening to my Coolio CD um, <laughs> and being a speaker did not really come to mind, I, you know, um, listening 
listening to Gangster Paradise, I'm not sure how a speaker would have ever fit into that dream or that vision, but no, not at all. Like, in fact, I wasn't even a Christian um, growing up in Toronto. So the idea of ever going into ministry and doing what I'm doing now, for obvious reasons, never crossed my mind. But even take the Jesus part out of it, I hated public speaking. So doing anything in front of people um, was never the dream or never crossed my mind in any way, shape, or form. So it does blow my mind to see many years later um, I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. The secret is that Holly actually hates public speaking too. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on stage, I sweat up a storm. I just get so nervous. <laughs> wow. Did she take a shower? No, she just was working. <laughs> Okay, it's not quite that bad, but yeah, it's uh that's the good thing about radio or podcast because it's just the three of us. Radio, it's just me or just me and Johnny, and I can forget that there's other people listening and watching. Yes, yes. So when it looks like someone hosed you down before, <laughs> the, you know, during the interview. No. Exactly, it's just wow. the nerves. <laughs> I remember that too, though. Remember in high school, when I did my little five-minute presentation, I would hold the paper, and I would always wear like super baggy clothes. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I did in the '90s, and I could feel the sweat just like dripping down my ribcage. Like it was <laughs> <Yes>. so gross, <laughs> so nerve-wracking. <laughs> yeah, but there's something exhilarating about being able to share your story in the same breath. It's terrifying, but it's exhilarating. I agree. So I'm curious, you said you didn't grow up with a bit of a, or with faith. So when did that enter the scene? Because clearly it's a part of your life now. Yeah, it's a big part of not only what I do, but who I am. Yeah. Um, Yeah, for me, like the turning point in my life was at 13 years old. And it sounds really weird on a surface level, but um, at 13, my parents, they got a divorce and, um, what essentially happened was my mom was cheating on my dad, if I'm just being honest. Hmm. And then the following year at 14, just before high school, I got kicked out of my house. And it wasn't kicked out like, hey, come back tomorrow, everything's fine. It was the following day, the police had to escort me back into the home. And that was kind of it. Hmm. So I say that's really weird because that's a pretty dark moment in my life. But I really feel like God was able to somehow use it to direct me towards him and his path and his plan. Because over the next few years in high school, I went the opposite direction. And as a result of that, I was just a very broken, bitter, empty kid. You know, I I really was. And I just, it seemed like everything I turned to when the culture just, did not lead to that full life I was looking for. There's, there was no substance to it. And uh, I felt more broken and empty every time I went down that road and this road or jumped into what other people were doing. So near the end of high school, one of my buddies, Daryl, he invited me to um, this church sports ministry. And they would rent my high school gym in Toronto. And they would, uh, you know, just open it up to uh to anyone who wanted to come play basketball and I know like you can't really see me like I know you think I'm very attractive but like I do look athletically challenged at the same time like sports does not like 
when you see me, you don't think sports, but I was an athlete, believe it or not. And I was on my high school ball team. I played against a dude who went to the NBA, like basketball was my thing. I, I know it's very deceiving, you know, uh, on this, but uh, so I went there to play basketball and I connected with the uh, youth director, Rob, Rob, uh, you know, just showed interest in my life and started asking very simple questions like, How's your week going? How are things going? How was your basketball tournament? How was your baseball tournament? How was your exam? Whatever it was. And every week I saw him, he just invested a little bit more into me. And so um, near the end of high school, he invited me out to uh, the actual church events, you know, whether it's youth group, Bible study. And uh, one night at a Bible study, had no idea, by the way, like, what in the world is going on or what people are talking about. But I was just there, you know, to be there. And um, one day in Bible study, he said, we are planning a mission trip down to Mexico. If anyone wants to sign up, just let me know. And I'm thinking like, hey, I live in Canada. It's cold for like, you know, 10 months of the year. Uh, so Mexico seems warm. <laughs> Spring break. You know, why not? Let's go for it. <laughs> so um, I signed up. No idea what a mission trip was. So I'm a little older than people think I am. So like when this mission trip was happening, this was when Mission Impossible was like really cool. And I uh... thought it was just like a spring break and mission trip was just like the theme. Let's, let's go have fun. <laughs> I don't know. Let's camera Tom Cruise and jump out of airplanes and stuff. You know, um, I had no idea what an actual mission trip was. And I remember going down there. And the first night they showed us um, a presentation on where we're heading the next day. And I was just like, there's, there's no water. Like we're at the beach, you know, I pack a bathing suit and we're in the middle of the desert. Like I had no idea. Hmm. And when I was down there, what I really signed up for, but a very long story short, when I was down there on a Wednesday night, um, another pastor, he, he did um, a gospel message. And just shared about Jesus and to the people who signed up for the mission trip. So this was not like, hey, a, a message for the locals. You know, this was people who signed up on the trip. My assumption, if someone told me to speak to a bunch of people coming from a church, my assumption is they all knew Jesus. You know, so the fact that this guy did not make that assumption and they gave a gospel message and then ultimately gave an invitation for anyone to give their life to Christ. In hindsight, it's very bizarre planning, you know, but I think God was involved in that because in that moment, um, I knew that was for me. So uh, what brought faith and Jesus into my life was really that moment making that decision. And I basically just said, like, God, I'm done doing life my way. I want to start doing it your way. And that just changed everything. Is that an immediate, like, switch? Or do you have the progression of still trying to fight the urge of who you were to who you want to be? Yeah. In my case, honestly, it was like immediate. It really was. I came back to Toronto and some of the stuff I was involved in from the alcohol to the drug to the crime and getting arrested and just hanging out with the wrong crew. Um, all of that changed. Like never touch alcohol or drugs ever again, like immediately. Um, the people I was running with and hanging out with good people, but you know, they were just kind of in the wrong scene. Um, I was able to, uh, 
have the wisdom to detach from them um, right away. And there's no backsliding. There's no like, oh, that one weekend of regrets afterwards. It was, no, I'm running for Jesus as hard as I can. And I, I have never looked back. So you, you put down the Coolio CD and you picked up the T-Bone CD instead. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm not sure who was popular back then. Third day, you know, like. Yeah. Third day, Sonic Flood. I don't know. Um, Do you remember know. those charts? If you like this mainstream band, you'll like this Christian band. So amazing and sad. <laughs> I'm so inaccurate. Yeah, right? they tried they tried well for you then i just if you're in the same spot how do you change your life completely i think a lot of people would struggle with that you're so close to the old life Mm. how did you forge ahead and never look back in one aspect i have no idea you know, hmm. I'm not a very smart man, if you can't tell yet in this interview. Um, so it wasn't like I, you know, somehow thought everything through and had this amazing game plan on how to, you know, detach from those things. I, I think for me, part of it, part of it was knowing where I was, knowing I probably have experienced many things that maybe the non-church life offers. And I think just just getting that taste, I realized that's not what I want. And, and and I think deep down, even before I knew Jesus, I knew this was not good for me. Hmm. You know, it wasn't like a conviction moment, you know, when I realized, oh, it's bad, so I can't do it. Um, before I knew Jesus, there was no conviction in the sense of it's bad. I just knew deep down it wasn't good, if that makes any sense at all. And it wasn't good for my soul. It wasn't good for my health. It wasn't good for my mental health in any way, shape, or form. But I think experiencing the realities of that broad road way of living helped me move forward with Jesus and knowing I don't want to touch that or go near that ever again. So it wasn't a big plan in the sense of here's step A, B, and C. It was just knowing I want to go this way now. Mm-hmm. So was the next step then, I, I guess that means that I'm going to become a pastor or, you know, uh, where do you, Yeah, it's kind of like, well, it's, you're either going to go this direction or this direction and, and pastor kind of seems that thing. Yeah. Well, again, that's even a funny story in itself because um, like I mentioned, this happened near the end of high school. So at that point I'm already enrolled to study business uh, mm-hmm. after high school and um, I came, my dad was a businessman, so business was the goal. So uh, I think two years in, I was looking for a summer job. Hmm. And the church that ran the basketball ministry in Toronto, they were hiring summer interns. And I honestly, maybe I shouldn't say this, but for me, it looked like an easy job, very close to my home, full-time work. Yeah. So... I put my resume in, but then I discovered other people who were also applying for the same job. And it was kind of like a why me moment because on paper, I should not have received this opportunity, but we went through the interview process and one thing after another. And either I'm going against people who grew up in the church, who were born at, on the altar, it felt like, you know, I think of those like church people, like, you know, born and raised, like literally born and raised in the same church. Yeah. Um, people who know their Bible way, way better than I did. And it made no sense at all. But um, this church decided, hey, we want to hire you 
um, which was literally like a why me moment. It, it just made no sense at all. But that summer I had my first taste of ministry. And from there, I just knew this is what I wanted to do. And I had a sense of maybe this is also what God wants for me at the same time. Um, so I continued studying business, but then over the next year and a half, give or take, I really went full, um, full swing into the whole ministry dream and idea and what that would look like, not just as a, uh, like a summer job, but what could that look like um, as a career, you know, which was weird, you know, for me to think there could be a career, a career in ministry. Mm-hmm. What is it about ministry and serving God in that way that fills you up? Yeah, like I, um, I love people and, and like I'm extremely extroverted, but just walking with people and laughing with people, but also sitting down with them and hearing their stories and their heartbreak or their struggles with God. Like I'm a people person and I, I find it weird once in a while. This might sound judgmental, but you know, I have some friends who go into ministry and I don't love people, but I love God. Hmm. Yeah. But you, you gotta love people a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there, there's still a people aspect to it. And for me, uh, it was the people part um, that really drew me into the ministry world. And I will say here we are, but 18 or 19 years later, and I'm still 100% into people business and to bring God into the center of that, you know, to me, that's ministry. And that's why I still do what I do. Well, I kind of really took a turn 18, 19 years into this. And now I just hate people. <laughs> <laughs> really just come to the conclusion after all this time that it's like, yeah, you know what? Not Actually, no. <laughs> um, funny. The the interesting thing though is that because because of podcasts, because of the YouTube, because of radio, there are so many opportunities for you to hear uh, amazing preachers and speakers. How, as somebody who does this for a living, hmm. how difficult was it for you to find your voice so that you didn't sound like you know insert your favorite preacher or your favorite speaker? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So. It was probably around 2008 when I started to enjoy public speaking uh, and around 2008, 2009, where, where I really felt like, hey, let's focus more on the speaking part uh, of ministry rather than pastoring within the church. So for me, I mean, it's very easy to just look at other speakers who were popular at the time. And you try to mimic them and you try to take their style and, or in many cases, let's just be honest, completely rip off their entire sermons, you know, like, you know, right. like, let's just be honest. And, and that's what I did for a while. In fact, I did that for a couple of years. Um, part of it was me feeling like I'm not equipped, no idea what I'm doing. So let's learn from the best. Let's take good content. However, um, I heard a story when I was in Bible college from one of my professors uh, who was somewhat of a popular pastor and he would speak at conferences and he told a horror story where uh, he showed up at a conference. He was a keynote speaker, you know, in the evening, but he showed up mid afternoon and there's someone on stage and the pastor, the pastor was there and he's like listening to the one on stage. It was word per word 
his sermon. Like yeah. word per word, the person found one of his sermons online and completely copied word by word. And the pastor and you know professor as well, he came up to the person afterwards and he said, hey, where did you get that from? And the person just admitted right off the bat, like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were here. This is your sermon. And and I remember hearing that story in Bible college going, I can never be that person. Like I can <laughs> never, I don't even want to risk, you know, being in that position. So I think that was a slight turning point for me where I realized I need to find my own voice and discover who I am as a speaker and a communicator, not trying to just copy other good communicators. Um, the other part for me was, you know, uh, if you see me speak like, Storytelling and humor is a huge part of what I do. And some of the people I was looking up to or the people I saw who had success as a speaker were not storytellers and not funny in any way, shape, or form. Like, no offense, but, you know, I mean, they, <laughs> they were church funny. You know, you go you, off. You've heard Holly preach before. Yeah, <laughs> not funny. No. That's where we met, you know. Um, <laughs> he was born in the front row catching some bees. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. But, but seriously, though, like I was, for me, humor is a huge part of who I am and my communication style today. And because I saw no one else really doing that at that point, keep in mind there wasn't 800 podcasts, uh, you know, in the world at this moment. And most churches weren't streaming everything online at that moment as well. Um, but a few people I looked up to did not have that style. And I did wonder, like, can I be funny on stage? Can I be a storyteller and use my humor as a way to somehow communicate God in the Bible? And uh, so a big turning point for me also around that same time, someone came up to me at a church. And this is when I really was wrestling with who am I as, as a speaker. And this man came up to me, never met him before, gave me a big giant hug. And you know, like when a hug just goes a little too long, and you're like, okay, I, you know, you're, you're like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's you. Yeah. Um, it went like beyond way too long. And then he starts whispering in my ear. Um, and, you know, at first I was like, like, you can't even raise your hand for help, you know, like, you... <laughs> but he had you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what he said was life changing. He said, um, God wants you to be you. Stop trying to be like everyone else. Hmm. And I don't know where he got that from. And I'm not very like spiritual in the sense of like everything someone says. I'm not always like, oh, that's 100% God speaking. But in that moment, I was so convinced it was coming from God. And I felt like that was the moment as a communicator where God was giving me permission. Like, Mike, be you, be yourself, use your humor, use your weird personality, use all that on stage and almost trust God that he can do uh, something with it. So that's probably when I started having a little more faith in, uh, in maybe who God made me to be and um, gaining more confidence over the years of actually being that on stage. I find often when you go through that process of defining and figuring out who you are, it comes with some valleys. It comes with um, refining moments, as we will say. Um, is that a part of your story as well? Did you have to go through some things to really curate your story in a way that would reach people? Yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing I learned right off the bat is everyone has some 
opinion, you know, in regards to who you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to communicate, how you're supposed to represent yourself on stage. Mm-hmm. And that alone was a valley, you know, uh, and, and I heard it all. You shouldn't yeah. try that way. You shouldn't share those jokes. And maybe they're right on the jokes, you know, like I, <laughs> I, I polished the humor up a little bit, a little bit over the years, but, yeah. um, but in those moments, it, it's how do you walk that line of being fully confident in who you are and who God made you to be, but also not jump over on, oh, I'm arrogant. Like, no, this is me. Like, who are you to tell me, mm-hmm. you know, you know, anything else or who I should be. Uh, but that was a valley moment because as I was navigating it, it was very discouraging, you know, um, very, very discouraging for a couple of years. And sometimes it's just one little comment. Um, sometimes it's just a little comment coming from a certain person that you're like, oh, but it makes you doubt everything. It makes you question everything. It makes you wonder, should I do this? Is, is this God's calling? But I've had weird moments. I remember years ago, I did something at a conference with another speaker. And this speaker at the time, you know, wrote a book and didn't have the best reputation in, you know, the church world at that moment. And I remember that almost destroyed my ministry as well. Um, could people assume because I was booked on the same lineup as mm-hmm. this one speaker, they assume I adopted the same theology and worldviews and doctrines. I'm like, I don't know how we jumped to that conclusion that quickly. Um, but it's to the point where like this one group was sending emails out saying, you got to cancel all your speaking engagements with from Mike because he's, you know, opening up for this person, like opening up. It's like I'm on like day one, this person on day four. Like, <laughs> and, and there's a lot of things that got twisted and somehow and the rumor turned into I was co-writing a book with this one person. I'm like, like that would have been a cool opportunity. This person was quite popular, <laughs> but you know, uh, but some of the facts were so off. But I remember, oh, that valley moment, wondering this was my biggest probably speaking network, and someone trying to uh, sabotage it, and just wondering, is that it? You know, that didn't last very long. And this is a, this was maybe a year and a half in, but I remember having stress and like anxiety and just going, this is a big miscommunication, but how is that now being, you know, emailed to all these pastors around like Ontario saying we shouldn't book him. And, and that, that was a low point. It, it really, really was. And despite, you know, miscommunication on their end, I also realized in ministry perception, it matters. Right. And, um, and uh, moving forward, you know, I, I was able to, use some wisdom from that and not just say yes to everything but on the flip side I don't know if I would have done it differently it was a cool conference and I was very blessed to speak at it Uh, and I kind of wish in hindsight church people don't just assume because you're hanging out with someone with different theology they can't just assume that means you have the same theology like I don't assume that if I go to Tim Horton and like see someone ordering coffee from someone who doesn't know Jesus. I'm not all of a sudden going, oh, they're no longer a Christian because they're associating with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Like it just, we wouldn't use that logic in any other scenario, I don't think. But in some some weird case with the one conference, they assume that meant I adopted all these weird opinions and views. But but that was a a valley moment because I was still quite new to speaking and I thought, this was going to cost me my biggest network and I would go down to 
maybe like two speaking engagements a month. And that's kind of hard to survive off at the same time. So mm-hmm. that, that, was a, that was a challenging season. That was a few, it, it went on for a couple of months actually, but everything got sorted out and it all ended up going well. But during a few months, I was really questioning, is this it? Why is it that Christians are like the original cancel culture? No one talks <laughs> about that, right? <laughs> it, it was, in hindsight, quite bizarre. Yeah. Quite bizarre. And and I it is what it is. But oh uh, I, I again I still remember all the emotion that came along with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You had said something that stuck with me and, and you said success. What does success as a speaker look like? Because I've heard I remember talking to a pastor once. I'm like, wow, you had like three hundred people come for an altar call. That's amazing that you were able to do that. He goes, No, I was just the end of. Somebody had planted a seed. I was just the end of that journey. And now they start a new journey. So what does success look like for you? Yeah. So uh, that's a great question, actually, because I I don't put success as, hey, we had 20 people give their life to Christ tonight, success. Now, is that something we praise God for 100%? But I can do the exact same method the night after and have zero people respond. And if you're basing success off those numbers, man, that's going to be a roller coaster of emotions, you know? Um, now, I don't think numbers are a bad thing. I know some people go, it's not about numbers. Well, if you want to see people come to Christ, obviously you'd rather have 20 people than zero. Let's just be honest, right? Mm. Um, but I don't think numbers are the way to judge success. Um, and, and it's hard not to go into the number game. And whether you're a speaker or a pastor, like go to any pastor conference, you know, what was the, every conversation within the first five minutes, minutes with a new person is, Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? What church are you at? And at some point it goes, Oh, how big is your church? And it's almost like a sizing up like, Oh yeah, 400. Well, uh, my church has 800 already. You know, mm-hmm. the number game is not a good way to um, point out success in any way, shape or form. But I think we fall into that trap a little bit more. Um, for me, success would be. Um, I, I set out to have some goals in life, you know, um, so a very personal milestone for me, you know, when I was starting out, you know, I'd always say, man, it'd be really cool one day to get booked at this event or to do this conference or to team up with this band or that speaker. Now, those are just personal goals that I had just more career milestones. Um, so when you get booked to that conference, to me, that was personal success you know when you book with that band personal success when it comes to ministry success you know um i think what makes this success uh somewhat successful is you know i've been doing it for 10 years i think that's successful Mm -hmm. that is i didn't quit you know during those moments of there's no money or people are trying to throw your name under the bus because you're on stage three days before this other speaker or uh, I didn't quit when everyone said, hey, you shouldn't wear all black on stage. It's not a funeral. Like, you look depressed, you know, like, you know, you look emo, uh, whatever it is. Like, it, But I think success, success is going, hey, I'm following this calling and this journey and this ministry that God has, whatever reason, put in front of me. I'm following it regardless, regardless if it is 25,000 people on, you know, in the crowd or 25 regardless if I'm doing 270 engagements a year or seven. Um, I think me just success is I'm going and I'm following regardless of what those numbers look like or any of those things. And also success as 
you know, um, you walk with humility and integrity. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen a lot of people fall. I don't mean that to be judgmental, but we've seen a lot of people fall over the years. Um, and, and just to say, you know what, like, I'm doing my best to walk in humility, but to have accountability all around me and not be one of those others. I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but, you know, when you're in a spotlight, people can try to knock you down pretty easily. So here we are over a decade in and to go, I'm, I'm still following God and still have a good reputation and doing my best to serve him and treat everyone the same. I think that's success. You mentioned the people trying to bring you down, and there is this element of celebrity culture when it comes to pastors. Um, it's an interesting thing to see, and you know, it's uh, something I think a lot of churches will deal with. For you, how do you navigate that? Yeah, well, I think there's a few things. I I, I mentioned when I first started the ministry stuff, the speaking. It seemed like everyone has some opinion on what, how to do this, how to do that. And over the years, I realized you can't listen to everyone. You can't please everyone. The one thing I did, I said, here are my seven or eight people that have 100% permission, the green light to say anything at any point. They see any red flag. They see me, you know, if I'm too arrogant or, you know, if, if you know, I'm losing focus or if I am making things about numbers, whatever it is. I have given a few people, and these are, in my opinion, the best of the best in the Christian industry of ministry, pastoring, speaking, the Christian event industry. Um, I give them them complete freedom to speak into me at any point. And I think that's a big thing that's helped me, you know, um, navigate this and, and not, you know, have your head grow a little bit, which happened. And I did go through a season of being quite, arrogant if I'm being honest with you when you start seeing your name on different posters and really cool bands a part of that um so I I had to be very intentional about putting the right people around me um but another thing too you know I I I I don't think the church culture should be too quick to assume as well Mm. you know like for example I remember someone called me out outside of my seven or eight people like oh I'm doing a tour with um I can't remember who it was. It would have been like someone popular, like a Toby Mac or someone like that. And um, and part of the contract was they wanted me to promote it online. And, and you guys are in the industry. You know, if you have a certain guest, like that's part of creating awareness. Uh, so through the contract, I had to share. It literally said, can you make X amount of posts, you know, and then this follow-up post when it's over and, and has someone call me out going, you're just boasting that you're on tour with this musician. I'm like, oh, I've known you for 10 years. Have you seen me boast behind the scenes on anything? Like, the answer is no. I'm like, oh, don't just assume like I'm boasting. Like, maybe there's a reason why I'm saying, hey, I'm excited to be with this person this weekend or whatever it is. But I, I think sometimes the church culture is quick to want, quick to point out something that could be a red flag or quick to want to pull you down for some reason. And I don't know why, because ministry is hard enough. You know, you know, it just, unless you're in ministry, I don't think you really understand how challenging it is. And I always tell people like, learn how to support your pastors and worship leaders and friends who are in the ministry, learn how to support them and encourage them, not try to find fault or reason to discredit them or, you know, assume the worst because 
uh, sometimes the church people can be wrong. I don't mean that to be rude, but sometimes their assumptions aren't true. Yeah. If boasting is a problem, I mean, we've had Mark Wahlberg on this podcast. We've had uh, Kirk Cameron. On. We've had Mike Gordon. Oh. I'm a boast like you would. If you're on tour with Toby <laughs> Mac, you're allowed to boast. <laughs> I appreciate it. Like, it's just so funny, though. I, I, I've had yeah. some. I've had some funny emails. Like, okay, talking about the prairie, for example, uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing um, this rally in uh, somewhere in Saskatchewan. And I got this email from a youth pastor. Maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but I had this random email the day before I'm speaking. And the email was, I see that you teamed up with David Crowder earlier on last year. I don't like the way Dave prays. So can you... <laughs> And then they sent like nine or 10, like theological doctrine type questions and said, can you answer all these questions? And based off your answer, I will then decide if I bring my church group, my youth group to this event or not. I'm just like, come on, man. What you saw on my website, like I teamed up with Dave Crowder or whatever it was. It's because you don't like how he prays. I don't know how Dave prays. Like, I don't know what's wrong with it. But all of a sudden you're sending me an email going, I don't think we should bring our kids to that group, uh, to that event. I don't know. It's just weird. It's just weird, man. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just a weird culture, right? You guys understand that. Oh, bit. yes. Um, I am too rock for Christian radio. I am too happy also. Um, I am too. I was just going to say, yeah, too happy. Blonde sounding. I am not diverse. I, we get it all, I think. That's just me. Johnny gets way more than I do. And I love everybody. <laughs> Johnny's not funny. Uh, what else do you have? <laughs> oh, I could I could read you emails from last week. Yeah, yeah. I got it, a handwritten not, letter. And I don't understand. Like I don't understand what what people are trying to accomplish. Now, obviously, like if your boss said that, okay, listen. Yeah. Sure, listen, but if you know Grandma Joe, like, hey, my goal, I got a spiritual gift of discouraging people. I'm going to send them a little. <laughs> <laughs> What, what's their goal? I hope you quit the show. Like, I, I don't understand, like, what they're trying to accomplish, right? Yeah, I think that is the goal, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, my kids won't eat, so thanks for that. Um, yeah. Thanks for the love. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just a weird culture. And, and being a speaker, you know, they use a term, um, the fishbowl effect, where, like, you're the one fish in the fishbowl, and everyone's staring at you and watching every move. And, I mean, I don't know encourage feed the fish you know encourage the fish don't try to kill it you know that's just mm-hmm. my yeah. little way of thinking but yeah you know, especially in our culture today like in canada i would say we're probably close to being a post-christian culture if not maybe we're already there yeah Let, let's build up the people who are bold enough to be on the front line of ministry in this culture whether it's podcast and radio or speaking or um doing camp ministry pastoring like let, let's encourage them let's not try to knock them down and have them quit you know and and there's a lot of people who have quit because of these type of emails and complaints and and or had to go on go on leave of absence because of mental health challenges that would come out of it um and again i i don't know i feel like in a culture we should be trying to lift up and encourage and build up every christian leader we can rather than try to remove them because at some point you might not have any you know and we kind of need them in Canada, in my opinion, at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You've kind of mentioned a why me moment already. Um, 
any others that you want to share? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I mean, for me, there's always a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm writing a book connected to a lot of these windy, you know, uh, random moments, sometimes in the valley where you're questioning everything about God. Uh, I mean, I think the most recent one was, you know, lockdown and COVID, you know, the year before COVID. Now, you know, here I go. It's not about numbers, but, you know, I did about 100, sorry, 271 speaking engagements. And then the next year it went down to like three or four. Um, and during that year of lockdown, I had no idea what to do. Like I had no idea what that, what that meant for the ministry. I had no idea, um, what that meant for me, even just for finances. Let's just be honest here. Like if you have a mortgage, um, the bank doesn't really care about lockdown, you know, or seeking as much. They want to make sure you're paying the bill. And, and that was a weird moment. Just, I, I just had to reassess everything going, is this, is this it? Do I go back in the church ministry? And I have no problem going back in the church ministry or, um, do I kind of hang in there and see, you know, one thing open up again? And, and that was a challenging two years, if I'm being honest. And I'm, I'm talking to other speakers and they're in the same boat wondering, like, is this it? What did normal look like? Is there a normal? Um, one thing that we saw in Canada, I mean, very respectfully, but there's a handful of big events and conferences did close down, you know, and not necessarily COVID related, but cl- closed down around the COVID two year season. So all of a sudden, as a speaker, you're like, oh, like, here are the 10 big events I would do a year. And now we're down to like four. Well, that's a big difference as well, right? So uh, I think for me, it really was a moment of, A, going back to, this is what I feel called to do. You know, and if I feel called to do, can I still do that? Whether it's a career or not, whether it pays a bill or not, you can be a speaker and just just do four engagements a year. And you're still a speaker. Um mm-hmm. So I think I was reassessing the career part of it, the job part of it, um, the paying the bill part of it, which is, you know, part of life. Um, but then also realizing, is there a future in this or should I navigate things a little differently? And and through that, God has opened up really the biggest ministry opportunity of my whole entire life as a speaker. So around that time, I started a conversation with a group down in Nashville um, it's a guy named Jeff Roberts and, you know, their agency represents, you know, the skillet and for King country and casting crowns. And the conversation started with them saying, Hey, we're thinking about maybe adding a few speakers to our roster. And, uh, so here I am having my conversation with God going, is this it? Like you need to do something. Like I know where my heart is. I know I'm still passionate, still feel called, but I can't see what that next step looked like you really need to open doors and direct those steps ahead of me and uh, a long story short about 10 months later um, the agency in Nashville signed me as one of their five speakers which is insane that's starting a whole new chapter when it comes to ministry and speaking and uh, continuing to do what I love but also what I really felt God calling me to back in what 2008 you can uh, check out mike-gordon.ca or official Mike Gordon on the Insta, my friend. We appreciate you taking some time and sharing your heart today. Well, thank you for having me. I had a great time hanging out with you too. What I really enjoy about this is the part about finding your voice, because I don't think you necessarily have to be a speaker, Holly, but we all have a voice in which we're able to share and encourage and just help out those who are or aren't in need. 
often I think people assume maybe that's the right word that if they don't have a platform mm. or they're not somebody who's high profile, that they don't have a story. And yet it's incredible how when you use your voice, no matter what forum you are in, if you are being faithful to what God is asking you to do and sharing your stories and encouraging other people, that's where the positive movement begins with everybody just sharing their story. You don't need the platform. Your work could be your platform. And what I love is that Mike essentially is saying, like, it doesn't matter your walk of life. We're really just given an opportunity to make a difference. And he's definitely done that. Yeah, he definitely has. Thank you to everybody who has reached out, who continues to reach out on our socials, whether it be Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Ask Jeeves. <laughs> There's no Ask Jeeves. There's no Ask Jeeves. No. <laughs> or going to maybe faithstrongtoday.com. Yeah.